Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie creatives. Hello, and welcome to Words and Nerds podcast. As you'll notice, I am not Danny V. My name is Deborah Tidball, and I'm here with Katrina Rowe. Hi, Katrina. G'day, Deborah. And we are doing a Words and Nerds takeover. So thanks, Danny, for Woo-hoo! letting us take over. <laughs> take over your podcast today. Let me introduce ourselves. So I'm Deborah Tidball. I'm the author of Picture Books When I See Grandma, The Scared Book, and my latest picture book, Anchored. And Katrina Rowe is a former radio host, podcaster, audiobook narrator, and picture book author who now lives in regional um, New South Wales and works in marketing for a large regional library. We've already said hello, Katrina, but hello again. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me to take over with you. It feels so naughty, doesn't it, taking over? <laughs> it's cheeky, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so Katrina and I are writing buddies, so that's how we know each other. We also share a publisher in Wombat Books, and we thought it would be fun today to talk about um, my recent picture book, Anchored, and the award that Katrina has just won, um, the Foreverability Award for her picture book, Same. And in that, we'll talk about the hot topic of representation of diversity and disability in books. And Deborah, I'm very excited also to announce about your upcoming tour of our libraries around the Riverina for Book Week or just ahead of Book Week. So we have to discuss that as well. We will. That's so exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so I think why don't we start where Danny often starts, Katrina, with an elevator pitch of same. Well, same is a true story about a little girl who is scared of her uncle because he has a disability and he has to find a way to show her that he's not as different as he seems. That sounds amazing. I actually know that this book is amazing because it's one of my favourite books. Uh, Um, Who illustrated this book, Katrina? Yeah, it's illustrated by Jemima Trapel, um, who at the time was a college student. She'd done a couple of books for a friend of mine, Penny Reeve. And I just really loved her beautiful hand-drawn style. So one of the themes in the book is it is actually drawing through which they end up connecting, which is just beautiful. If you actually know both of these people now, my daughter, who was three at the time, has grown up and art is absolutely her passion. You know, she's just been accepted into the National Art School for their HSC intensives. So it really was a beautiful thing that it was through the drawing that they actually connected in the story and in real life because the story is a true story. Yeah, yeah. I really love the illustrations from this as well. I love the the sketchy sort of looseness of, of the drawings of this. I think it really um, just goes to the heart of the story. It's just really beautiful. It was quite hard actually, Deborah, to find an illustrator uh, for this project. And it was a couple of reasons. One was that, yes, we needed that hand-drawn look and that had to really be a motif throughout the work but more importantly was um, Charlie's disability right because he has cerebral palsy what I found was the earliest concepts that came from other illustrators not from Jemima but they really made Charlie look um, 
really spaced out. They made him look like he wasn't with it or that he didn't know what was going on. It was really hard to get the balance right between showing that spasticity in his body, but Mm -hmm. him still being very much present and engaged in the moment. And Jemima actually nailed that. And I think anyone who looks through the book can see that Charlie is very much engaged with what is going on in the story, that he's paying attention, that he's relational, that he's listening and all these things, but that that spasticity and and a little bit of um, the rigidity of his muscles and things like that, that that's still there as well. And that is a really difficult thing to capture. And the reason Jemima did such a great job is she's really a portrait artist. She specializes in the drawing of people and of bodies. And that's why just those hours put in by the artist of physically looking at anatomy and studying the human body and, and then also understanding that the eyes are the window to the soul. So there's a lot going on in her illustrations and we just felt so happy that she got the whole thing, you know? Yeah, wow, that's amazing to to think about all of those aspects in getting that that picture. What I'm also interested about what you said there, Katrina, was that the manuscript, what, was sent out to a number of people to get their ideas before you actually decided on someone? Well, it was just that there were a couple of suggestions sent through you know they said mm-hmm. what do you think mm-hmm. about this and I just went no absolutely not you know <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. not they've mm-hmm. they've taken away his humanity he was floppy and I mean not that look and some people with cerebral palsy are very floppy and that doesn't mean that they're not physically engaged or mentally engaged with what's going on but it just wasn't the right disability uh for this story you know what I mean yeah and, yeah yeah and I think it was so crucial because in the in the story, it is Charlie, really, the person with a disability, who is reaching out to the child. He's the yeah. active one who, who's trying to join in and trying to connect with her. So yeah. there had to be that agency about him, yeah. that he was the one that was, he was very patient with her. She, she was running away and hiding from him because she was scared. And I, as the mom, was getting upset, but he didn't. He was just patient and kind and he just hung around until he found the right way to communicate with her. That's amazing. So I imagine, Katrina, from that, that the representation of people with disabilities in literature must be something that you're highly tuned to. And I just wonder if there are some things, some ways that people are getting it right and some some bugbears that you have about how that how that's represented. Yeah, definitely. I think like all things, there's not really black and white rules and the experience of disability like anything can be very very different depending on, you know, what the disability is and how the person themselves feels about it and, you know, whether you've grown up with it your whole life or whether it's something you've had to adjust to later. So, obviously there's a huge variety of complex experiences and emotions. I I've experiencing disability from from two angles. There's growing up with my brother with cerebral palsy, but I also do have um, a daughter with autism, with autism and ADHD, and another daughter with ADHD. And that I guess the autism framework has influenced me again in different ways because it is a very different disability to the physical disability that I grew up with. You know, with cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. One of the things. There's a bit of a tightrope act at the moment, you know, where we we recognise the importance of 
own voices of people sharing their own legitimate experiences of mm. disability. That's really important. But we also don't want to be in a situation where, you know, people feel that they can't write about their experiences, you know, or research, for example, a disability mm. and maybe include a character because then it can yeah. also end up being exclusive. So yeah. I recognise that this is a complex it's thing. It's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? And I think, you know, often writers feel that, particularly writers who don't have that own voices sort of um, framework, yeah. Yeah, but what I would say is like anything else that you haven't experienced, you need to really do your research and and you need to be consultative and, you know, you can't just... I guess what I'm saying is, you know, it does have big consequences for people if you get it wrong. So if you are um, perpetuating stereotypes, if you are portraying a disability in a purely negative light, people live with the consequences of this. So you do have to take it seriously. Um, I'm going to say this with a bit of caution, Deborah, but the mm. thing that I don't like in literature is mm. unnamed disabilities. Because, and the reason I say this, and I do say it with caution, because, okay, maybe in a fantasy context, your disability could be an unknown disability that not a real life one, or maybe there are some situations in which it can. But I, I just feel like, you know, they. I think it really perpetuates stereotypes because often with an unknown disability, the person with the disability is the obstacle to the main character's success or happiness in some way. Mm -hmm. This is a bit of a pattern that you see in literature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't mind if the author knows what the disability is and they don't name it, but I, I think it should be consistent with the genuine experience of disability in some way, you know, that, that they know, okay, I've, I've created a, a character who's living with this mm -hmm. situation or that. So because that it then can, it will feel authentic. Yeah. So that's authentic. This is the thing yeah. because you know, I don't think you have to have the experience of everything in your life necessarily to be able to write about it. But I feel like it's a cop out when authors don't name their disability and they just kind of make one up because it's like they don't want, yes, there can be backlash when you get it wrong. And so I think that authors sometimes do that out of a fear of getting it wrong right, or being, yep. you know, that if I write a character with autism, that I'm going to get a lot of criticism if I don't get right, it right yeah. or if there's any negativity at all. But I just think it doesn't help. It doesn't help with trying to help get understanding. Put it this way, in our day-to-day -day life with a teenager with autism, I have to go out and constantly advocate on her behalf. Like any parent of a child with a disability will tell you this. It's just exhausting. You're constantly having to explain things to teachers like, well, this is why my daughter is experiencing your class in this way you know this is yeah. why my child can't cope with being at school five days a yeah. week or whatever the yeah. situation is you just it's and so when there's inaccurate stereotypes or inaccurate representations I just feel it makes that job so much harder of trying to get people to understand like yes it's no almost the undoing isn't it you've got to undo what they think they know yes exactly um whereas I know that yes everyone's experience of autism is a little bit different but at least if we have real experiences of autism in a book it might just make it just that little bit less difficult to be constantly mm. explaining everything to family to teachers to Mm. No. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, and it's interesting because I think, you know, that is a really hot topic at the moment, that whole how diversity and disability is represented in literature. And I know Kate Foster is doing, is writing a lot of her books have 
neurodiverse characters. So I think Pause was her mid-grade novel about a boy with autism. And just recently she's got a junior fiction out about a girl with autism and all of them involve dogs. But she's also just set up an award called the Dan's Award. The um, Let me see if I can get Diversity in Australia and right. New Zealand, isn't it? That's it. And uh, that's opening up, I think, in July this year for entries, um, as well as the Foreverability Award as um, same one this year. Um, that opens up, I think, in October. So it's nice to see that there are some places now where people are saying, let's have a look at how disability and diversity is being represented and, um, you know, let's acknowledge those and let's look for excellence in those areas. Look, I would really love to see some of those awards extend to unpublished manuscripts because I think it's great to recognise the work that is out there and help people to find it, but it's really yeah. hard to get those works published in the first place, you know, and you know, I mean, a lot of publishing is the same people publishing over and over and over and over and over again. And it's hard for diverse voices to break in, even oh, though oh. a lot of publishers are looking for diverse voices. They are. They're saying that everywhere, aren't they? They say that. They do. But then often they will look at a, div a, a manuscript that has diversity and go, oh, this is too niche. Or they will look yes. at it and, you know, they'll expect that the author who might have a disability um, to be able to do everything on their terms the same way as anyone else, you know, if they're not actually going to adapt their processes and look at mm. um, what they expect of their authors, like even the the deadlines and the, the touring and everything that they want that author to do, if they're not going yeah. to look at that author and go, how can we actually accommodate your disability in our publishing process? Like, mm. Because it's a whole paradigm shift, isn't it? Really, it's yeah. like it's not just you know, it's yeah, it's not just the manuscript. It's how we actually accommodate the author. Yes, and I think often things are set up in a way that make it very difficult for people mm. to participate. You know, mm. in the first mm. place, like mm. you know, think about this. Okay, you do a pitch on one of those um, pitching sessions, and you get three minutes to represent yourself in an extremely high-pressure situation. How is that a good setup for someone, say, who has autism? Mm, mm, mm. It's hard enough for them in a face-to-face -face situation to read your cues and to understand the dynamic and what's expected. So I mm. think that if we want real diversity in publishing, we have to have, you know, be open to a diversity of experiences and ways of doing things that make it, actually genuinely more accessible and I would love to see as I said an award for an unpublished manuscript I think would really open the doors in a much bigger mm. way than just awarding the books that are actually published. Mm -mm -mm. So publishers out there listening I think this is your cue to to look at your practices and maybe even think about an unpublished manuscript award for um, for diversity and disability. And Katrina, it's interesting because it's not only um, all of your books, I think, have some sort of nonfiction, engaging characters that are looking at illness, some of your others, don't they? So I think Marty's about um, nut allergies, Emily is about asthma, Gemma is about um, anxiety. 
So tell me what draws you to all of this. You've talked about how you've had experience with cerebral palsy and and autism, so that disability thing. What draws you to these other things, Katrina? Well, there, you know, as you know, I'm sure you're aware, Deborah, that they're just my <laughs> life. They're just my life stories, and and I do write plenty of books that aren't about inclusion. Like these books, really are all about finding ways to include people who have issues going on issues. That, are, that are keeping mm. them they're issues that are keeping them apart mm. from their friends really yeah. or that they're stopping yeah. them participating yeah. it's the Beautiful. same theme really yeah. and lily's yeah. bloom which was my last book is a bit of an exception but i actually did yeah. write i wrote this character who now i understand has autism but i didn't know that at the time when i wrote her because i was writing my daughter <laughs> and she was undiagnosed but i wrote her sensory issues into the story and so again that was my authentic experience of writing that child mm, 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 into the character mm, mm, of Lily. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've written lots of unserious, very silly books, but these are the ones that get published. And I think it's just because they are the most authentic because they are the books that I've written from my heart, from my experiences. Mm. And again, I've got other manuscripts as well that I've got now, which are very much about that. The one that I've been tinkering away on at home, A Prize for You, is is just about those kids that never get awards at school and don't fit into the school system. And that's that's been my wow. kids. I've, I've realising that more and more. <laughs> so I want to write something for them as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about authenticity, you're, you're there. <laughs> well, yes. But you know what? <laughs> it's all so coming I- through in these books. But so are you, Deborah, and and I think what it, there's a cost to that, isn't there? Like to putting yourself out there, and like I know right now you're on the circuit with your book, and you you know when you're talking about these things that are deeply personal, it's rewarding, but it's it's draining as well. Yeah, and mm. so from that, from your you know that whole marketing, that whole putting yourself out there thing, Katrina, I'm imagining you're a bit of a pro, being with your journalism background. Your job at the, with regional libraries is marketing at the moment. I wonder if there's any, because I was um, on Danny's podcast with the April new releases a while ago, and um, one of the questions she asked was, what's the hardest thing about writing? And for me, it was a bit like this promotional trail, you know, it's like really tricky. And I wonder if you've got any hints or tricks um, for people who are doing that, who are out there promoting their books at the moment and just looking for ways to hit the mark. Are there any hints that you could have for, for authors who are on that trail? Yeah, um, if you particularly thinking of getting access to the mainstream media, that's something that I, I probably have a, a bit of a specialty in, I think. The important thing really is to start thinking of yourself as a content creator rather than thinking, what can I get from mainstream media and thinking, oh, I've got a book out, I, I deserve to be interviewed. You've really got to think, what can I offer and mm-hmm. how can I solve a problem for these very busy media producers that make the decisions about what comes on their radio show or what gets into their newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so the way to provide content, there's a couple of ways, but what the media really are looking for is a good story, firstly. Mm-hmm. And if that story has some urgency to it, then you will get bumped up the priority chain because there are a thousand good stories, but on any day you tend to choose the one that is more urgent. And the way that you achieve urgency is usually by an event. So in other words, if there is an event coming up this week or if it's a particular week, you know, if it is the Autism Awareness Week or the Week of the Military Child or whatever the thing is that relates to your book, then you are helping to solve a problem for them. So in other words, say it's book week or it's, I don't know, Indigenous Literacy Week or something. And if you Uh can provide content to that media outlet that suits what they need anyway, 
then you're being helpful to them. So that's that's my number one tip is I would just oh. say develop relationships with local media and other organisations that you have a synergy with, so your natural networks, just develop those relationships mm-hmm. and look for opportunities to provide content or conversations that are helpful to them. What's really interesting about what you said, Katrina, is a bit like it's a, it's a bit like writing in that you're increasing the stakes that providing urgency for me is ringing bells about, you know, increase the stakes for, for your characters. So what you're wanting to do is increase the stakes for the person who's going to take on. Yeah, you know. because typically what you receive when, you know, I was doing a daily radio show is I've published a book. I wonder if you'd like to interview me. And it's like, well, mm. why? interview you about what how is this relevant how is it timely how is it how is it relevant to a situation people are facing their lives right now that's what you've got to give them you've got to give them this is the story and also this is why i'm the person to speak about this this is the expertise or experience that i bring to this topic yeah yeah Yeah. so that's that's my that's my big tip that's fantastic that's really helpful and one last question for you katrina around you we met in sydney You've you lived in Sydney for a long time. You've recently moved to regional New South Wales. How have you found that creatively? And maybe you can talk a bit about your your job in um, the regional yeah. libraries. Well, I, I have to say I've found the move quite difficult, although I really love where I'm living. It's just that I don't have the same connections that I had after 20 years in Sydney and particularly I think the creative connections there is so much going on here creatively you know like I could go to a book launch or an exhibition or a a, a play you know every week there's a lot going on but I guess it's fantastic though to know that that that, that's happening oh yeah and it's cheap and it's rich cultural life yeah and and it's accessible like you know you can go to a show and you can drive 10 minutes park right outside and go in and and it's affordable you know a lot of things are free (laughs) a lot of things are low cost like so I can, I feel I have greater access to the arts living in Wagga Wagga than I really had in Sydney um really interesting you know, forming connections takes time and I've struggled. You know, I really miss you guys, my writers group. I miss you so much because I just don't have that, you know, we've 13 years, like the, the trust and security that I have to be able to bring my work to you guys and, you know, know that you'll still accept me even if you hate what I've written or, mm. or uh, you know, that I can take the... <laughs> never. The, we never hate what you've written. <laughs> take yeah. the criticism and, and, you know, still feel safe. So I've really missed that. I do find it really hard doing writers group by Zoom when you mm. guys are together. But, um, mm. but at the same time, it's been a lifeline because mm. I can't form those bonds instantly overnight in a new community. So I hope that with time that I'll find those kinds of creative partnerships yeah. here as well. But, hey, we're really excited to have you coming out to the Riverina. Yeah. Visiting our libraries. Um, and that's yeah. been wonderful to to be able to do that role and connect with readers and connect with authors. So, Deb, we're I was really just blown excited. away by how many people wanted wanted me to come. <laughs> yeah, we've got like nine, is it eight or nine libraries booked in to nine, have you come Nine, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think really the, cool. the thing to note with that is that I hadn't appreciated, Katrina, is that when you say, you know, nine libraries have booked me in, that's basically school visits, isn't it? It's like the libraries. Yes, the libraries share the you with the schools. So the libraries mm. pay for the visit, but the schools mm. get to enjoy the visit, mm. Um, mm. which is really wonderful that the service that the public libraries um, oh, it's are totally brilliant. providing. So for those who don't know about your book, Anchor, do you want to just yep. uh, quickly tell us a little bit about it? The elevator pitch, as Danny would say. Yep. <laughs> 
So Anchored is a picture book. It's about a big ship and a little tugboat and the transformative power of knowing that they're anchored in each other's hearts, even though they're oceans apart. So this mm. one's for anyone who has to spend time away from someone they love. And I think we all have to do that, Katrina, don't we? I know that even, you know, when my children were little, just going to preschool was a big deal. You know, will you miss me, mum? I think, <laughs> you know, will you miss me? I'll miss you. Um, yeah, I've, my daughter's on string camp right now, actually doing a violin camp. And I had to give her that same pitch, like, doesn't matter if we're not together because I'm always with you and we still love you and I want your security to come from that. So, yeah, it's a beautiful message in the book. I, I think the thing that struck me when I first read it, as I've mentioned to you, is being here in Wagga Wagga, we've got an army base and we've got a RAF base and yeah. there are a lot of comings and goings. You know, there's a lot of military kids whose yeah. parents have gone and served previously, maybe in Afghanistan and places or who get deployed you know to something for a period and they, that constant coming and going is part of their life so do you want to tell us a little bit about your own experiences when you were a kid yeah yeah so Katrina I mean you've hit on it that um that the inspiration for this book came from not only looking at the ships and the tugboats that I see around the harbour but also from looking at the Navy ships across the road at Garden Island and thinking about that time when my dad was away in Vietnam and and how that felt. So I was only little, probably about six at the time, and, and I just remember the missing. I remember um, thinking about or wondering whether he was missing me. I remember the how it felt when I got a postcard home. I still have a postcard. I think I've, we've moved a number of times. I think it's still in storage. I've been trying to find it. But how that felt to think, oh, Dad's thinking of me. And then, you know, when he came home from leave, he brought home, he brought me home a beautiful music box that, you know, clearly I still have today. It's one of my treasured um, possessions. And just that idea of him thinking of me was such a reassuring thing. It's mm, really beautiful. It, it tears me up because I, I grew up with a dad who was a World War Two kid, and his father was away as a prisoner of war for years, from when he was six until when he was twelve. And and so, wow, um, yeah, That's a lot I, of growing up in that time, isn't it? A lot. There's a whole childhood, really. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know something about your book. I just found it really beautiful and and really touching. And I think also because we do live in this era of connectivity, constant connectivity you know, where people feel like they have to text every minute or, you know, that even when they're away. But there is something beautiful about having that security, not from being connected, but just from knowing it, as you said, anchored in each other's hearts. I think there's something mm. really profound about that for this generation, you know? Well, it also, it's interesting because, like, I also remember going away overseas when um, I had met, I don't think we were engaged yet, but I'd met my husband we were not quite engaged, but, you know, we were in that throes of love. I remember going overseas and sitting on the banks of a river and just watching a sunset and just how much more beautiful that was, thinking about him, you know, that how everything seems brighter when you're in love. And I think mm. that's, that comes across in the book too, I think, that, you know, knowing that you're loved and, and loving someone makes the days brighter. Yeah, absolutely. So, Deb, I think one thing about you is that you are really known as being one of the most supportive writers in the children's literature world. It's something I've often said about you. I know other people say it about Aww. you too. And it's <laughs> wonderful to see that the 
children's literature industry is now, I think, giving back some love to you. You, you seem to be getting some <laughs> support. Like, And I know that you were not so long ago at Sydney Writers' Festival and yeah. it was really lovely to see you getting that opportunity. Can you tell us yeah. about what that was like? Oh, look, Sydney Writers' Festival is fantastic. So buzzy. I think, um, you know, Danny was there and she was doing podcasts on Rusta's Story Bus. I think there's been a few of those I've listened to recently with some um, amazing kid-lit people. But, yeah, the family day is a really high-energy, buzzy day. It was well set up this year. It was great. You had the um, Storytime Clubhouse where I was presenting as well as every half hour it was a different presenter down one end and down the other end you had like this this main stage where there was a whole lot of activity going on and uh, in the middle was Cheryl Orsini with her huge mural and kids colouring that and making badges and and kids just engaging with all of these book creators. It was incredible. Christy Byrne was there. She was pumping marshmallows, shooting marshmallows from a vacuum cleaner into the audience. Like <laughs> it was, it was fun. Wild, yes. It was, yeah, it wild. was wild. Like, yeah, it was such a great experience. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we're really yeah. excited to have such a prestigious author coming to our libraries soon, which is wonderful. But I also wanted to ask you, what is next for you? What else is going on and what are you working on? And um, what else have you got coming out? Yeah, well, I have another picture book coming out next year. And that's really exciting because we've just signed off on the roughs on that one. Um, this one's about a child and a dragon. It's called Lights Out Little Dragon. And it's another interactive picture book. Like Scared Book was interactive, but this one, it's not the book that is the character. It's the child is actually asking for the readers to help. Oh, that sounds this, yeah, really cute. So and do you know really who's cute. illustrating that one? It's illustrated by a new illustrator called Ray Tan, and uh, she's just incredible, uh, just beautiful. I'm just blown away. And there'll be lots of gold <laughs> and okay. the colours are beautiful. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That's coming out with HarperCollins uh, midway through next year. Oh, that's really awesome. And is there anything else that you are dreaming about or what would you like to do next as an author? You know, I've always got something on the go, Katrina. I've got a couple of picture books that I'm shopping around at the moment. I've also started to look at maybe looking at a bit of a graphic novel. I think I started to write something that I thought might be a bit junior fiction-y or mid-grady. And I I just felt that I, I tend to think in pictures. And I find it really, I, I get bogged down when there aren't pictures in the equation. So I thought, oh, I wonder how that would be if I wrote something a bit longer, but of a graphic novel type thing. So, you know, there's something that I'm toying with. How about you? Oh, I've been writing a few different things. Um... I've been working on some historical picture books recently that will be, um, you know, looking at big characters in Australian history, basically, and telling Great. some of their stories. So yep. that's really fun to write. That's largely based on a podcast that I worked on with my father-in-law called Australia's Invisible History. And we just discovered so many great people. Oh, and I, thought I love that one podcast. Oh, thank you. It'd be wonderful for kids to know about these people and what they did. They're quite inspiring yep. characters. So I've been working on that 
I've been working also on my middle grade fairy story, which is um, the first draft is finished, but still needs a lot of tidying up. So that's been really fun. That one's set in Scotland on the Isle of Skye, which I just love going there. In oh, that. yeah, I love that story. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah. I, I get to see it as it's being created. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So that's really different for me. And yeah, and more and more picture book ideas always but it's always a matter of finding the time to keep working on them and keep sending them out but yeah yeah what's going on i think our time is probably nearly up katrina so let's end with how how daddy likes to end uh why do you write can't stop myself deborah what about you it'd be a lot easier just to have a couple of years of therapy and get it out of the system (laughs) wouldn't it but what about I, you? I Why just, do you write? Uh, look, I just find it really compulsive. I love that sort of writing something and then finding an aha moment. You know, I think with this one, with Anchored, it was, um, it, it might seem really strange, but the concept of the anchor didn't happen until right towards the end of the process. And uh, once I got that concept, I was like, aha, yes, now this story actually makes sense. Now Isn't really it interesting book. when you don't realise what you've been writing about until you get to the end? Because yeah. I, the book that I, my fairy story started as being about sisters, yeah, um, which it is, but then I yeah. realised it was about my daughter's autism diagnosis as well. And it was also about the feelings of lockdown as well yes. there's a lot of yes. stuff in yes. there that I yes. didn't realize I was writing until I got to the end and went oh that's what that is <laughs> yeah yeah and I love that I love that sense of discovery through writing um yeah. it's fun yeah oh lovely well thanks for having me Deborah it's been great catching up with you yeah it's been fun thanks Katrina um and thanks Danny for letting us take over your podcast hope your listeners really enjoy the the, the ramblings that we <laughs> come up with today <laughs> All right, see you guys. Bye.